The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter. Mark writes, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time house and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. Just a quick note before I start with the sermon. Through these times where we have one pastor here one week and then kind of a different pastor, I I like to point out how lucky or how blessed, let's go with blessed we are to have the Lutheran liturgy because we come Sunday after Sunday and we have that familiarity, even though there's a different pastor here, a different leadership, that liturgy offers that comfort that we come and we, we, we have an expectation of what we're going to receive. Now, please note there's a big difference between familiarity and something that's common. Once it becomes common, then now well, maybe we need to mix it up a little bit. So just one of those things in an instance that we just pay attention. We're, we are blessed to have that liturgy. And thank you again for Mark for, for being here. So today Jesus asked the question, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? It's an interesting question asked by our Savior. And how do you relate to this question or does it even pertain to us? Recently, a Lutheran pastor came to visit the U.S. from Tanzania. And he proclaimed at a convention of pastors that we pray for you in this country. You have everything. He knew what Jesus was saying when he taught children how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, we might not think that we are the wealthy. We might compare our situations to our neighbors and our friends and think that we aren't as rich as they are. But the fact is that by the world's standards, we are very well off. In Tanzania and other countries in Africa, South America, and Asia where poverty runs rampant, many live in extreme poverty, making less than $2 per day. They lack clean water, electricity, proper housing, fuel, sanitation, and much, much more. The struggle to survive is a daily battle. Medicine and educational opportunities, well, they're scarce. And yet, for those who know Jesus, for those who know Christ and their God, their joy is profound. Their spirits are high and their confidence in the Lord is sure and certain. The reality of faith and the level of income seems to be inversely proportional. To lack so much is to rely on Jesus more. And to have everything is to rely on Jesus less. That doesn't seem to fit our own versions of joy and success. And it didn't match that vision that the disciples had either. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they went to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And it's funny because it kind of seems like Jesus He somewhat humors them. He doesn't say, sure, I'll do for you whatever you ask. He asks them a question. What do you want me to do for you? And they were actually thinking of an earthly kingdom. And they wanted glory. They wanted success and honor. They wanted the good life. Jesus, he goes on to tell them that what they will get on this earth, well, it's suffering. Suffering for the sake of the gospel. James would be put to death by the sword, and John would be exiled and imprisoned on the island of Patmos. James and John wouldn't get glory, success, and honor, or even the good life. As servants of the gospel, They would suffer. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Being great as a follower of Jesus isn't going to mean glory, success, and honor, a good life here on this earth. It's about service. And there's going to be some suffering along the way. Perhaps we can relate to James and John. Maybe we wouldn't mind some recognition, success of our own, and honor. 
Most of us generally want things to be the way that we want them to be. We want our life to go well. To go my idea of well anyway. And I sometimes go to Jesus and basically my attitude is much like James and John's was. Lord, I want you to do for me whatever I ask. Whatever I see as a problem, you need to fix it. It's just the way that I suggest. I want my will to be done. And one thing that we must learn in life is that we don't always get what we want. Our idea of what we want is often very different to God's knowledge of what we actually need. It's different from what we get. Sometimes this can leave us feeling offended, feeling disappointed with God, feeling like God doesn't care about us, feeling like God isn't giving us the answers or the guidance which we think that we need. And then sometimes things turn out absolutely awful. We're not just faced faced with not getting what we want. We're faced with getting exactly those things in which we don't want. Things like a serious illness, a death in the family, conflict with family, friends, or co-workers, relationships broken down, loneliness, depression, on top of grief and financial hardships. We can find ourselves asking questions like, why God? What have I done, God, to deserve this? What are you going to do about this, God? We can find ourselves asking these tough questions of God and basically telling him the way that it really should be. We know what's best for us. We've just got to get God to see it the way that we see it and agree to things the way that we think that they should be. My will be done, God, mine. In the book of Job, we hear that Job suffered greatly. And he hadn't done anything to bring that suffering upon himself. So that's an important point that we need to understand. If some terrible tragedy happens in our lives, or we're dealing with some kind of disaster, don't think that God is paying you back for something that you did wrong. Because Jesus took all of that payback for us already. Job, he was a righteous man and he suffered much. And Job wanted to confront God. He wanted to correct God. Job thought that God had been unfair. He questioned God's wisdom, God's justice, and his ability and as we look back on that story in the scriptures, we can see that as understandable. God's reply to Job was this. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. You see, God doesn't address Job's suffering at all. 
Instead, God lifts Job's eyes away from it, away from the muck and the mess to the wonder and the majesty of our God Almighty. God makes it clear that his wisdom and power are infinitely beyond that of any human being. God points out that he takes care of the lions and the ravens. So how much more does he take care of Job? Job wanted to have it out with God, but when God answers Job, Job has nothing to say. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Job never stopped believing in God. But he messed up when he tried to judge God. And when he called God unfair. And sometimes in our hearts, we do the same. But thank goodness that our God is God. May we also do the same as Job in this way. May we also come to realize that despite suffering that isn't caused by our own sins, that God's ways are above our ways. They surpass our understanding. The Lord's wisdom is greater than our wisdom. His mercy is infinite and his power is limitless. The Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this? That darkens my counsel with words without knowledge. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. And sometimes we might want God to answer us. But really what we should be more concerned about is what our answer to God is going to be. How will we respond? How are we going to answer for our lack of fear, love, and trust in God? Our taking things into our own hands, our trying to secure our own futures, our own joy, our own success, and our lack of gratitude to our God. It's no surprise that the last recorded words of Job were words of repentance. He says this, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Words of repentance should be on our lips daily, along with words of of gratitude. Thanks to God for all the blessings in which we receive. Such words of thanksgiving can be for God giving us a greater answer and display than he gave Job when he answered him out of the storm. God has answered us most amazingly through Jesus Christ. In Christ, God has addressed our suffering and given the answers that we truly do need. And we can find ourselves asking, why God? What have I done, God? What are you going to do, God? 
But when we look at at the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb, we have the answers to more questions than just these. Questions like, am I forgiven? Yes, you are forgiven. Does God provide for me? He sure does. Can God work for my good in suffering? Yes. Does God see the bigger picture and have a plan for me? He does. Is God in control of all things? Absolutely. Does God understand my pain? I don't think that there's anybody else that can understand our pain. Will God deliver me from my pain and suffering? You know he will. Is God with me? Does he love me? Yes. Yes, he loves me. There's a saying that there's two keys to a happy life. Trust in God and thanks to God. Both expressed through prayer. Trusting in God and thanking God are so important. And there's a very distinct reason for it. It's because it's good for us. It's good for us to realize that we might think that we know what's best for us, what the best outcome is, what the best solution will be, what the best answer is, but we're probably wrong. God is good, and we're not. Like James and John, we sometimes ask for things that we shouldn't even be asking for. We don't know what we're actually asking. Because we don't know the bigger picture. The one who does, the one who sees the bigger picture, the one who is actually in control is the God who himself suffered. The one who himself offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears, who himself suffered and died on the cross for you. The one who brought about our greatest blessings, forgiveness of sins and eternal life through the horrible suffering of the cross can use these sufferings of our lives for blessings as well. In fact, isn't it beautiful that he promised to do this for us? Maybe, just maybe, he's discipling us as a parent, disciples a dearly loved child. Maybe he's growing our faith and drawing us closer to him. But whatever the reason, we can know for sure that we are loved by God who is almighty and perfect in all of his ways. He loves us and he is for us. We can ask God for whatever we want. But above all, may God give us what we need. Hearts, hearts that trust him 
and are full of thanks for the life forever that he has given us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.